Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC football podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. Mike McDaniel still on paternity leave. Send him your good vibes. Joining me tonight to preview my Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets and to some degree his. Uh, you know him, you love him. Welcome back to the show, Mr. Kelly Quinlan of JacketsOnline.com. Kelly, how are you doing? Welcome back. I'm good, Joey. How are you doing, man? I'm good. I'm good. It, it is It is always uh, an exciting time when I get to preview uh, college football. Uh, and it's recently been something like that some sort of excitement previewing georgia tech uh so as we get we get into them tonight <laughs> so i appreciate you joining and, and and coming on and giving some insights um wanted to start with the, the coaching staff and obviously the head man and and the the main talking point i think in the national media as it relates to georgia tech is just what is the status of jeff collins uh entering year three and i i believe he's like nine and 25 um basically has won three games every single year in, in this role. And I, I know that when, you know, when he took over for Paul Johnson, the discussion was, Oh, this is going to be a long rebuild. He, he was given, I believe a seven year contract. Like there was no expectation that they were, you know, trying to win the ACC in year two, year three. And yet I think there's still been a lot of frustration just surrounding seeing visual improvements on the field. I mean, is that, what is the sense that you get on, on, what what is being expected of him versus what should be expected at this point in this transition? So the the frustration is a twofold one. One of is one of the things is that the the team has looked at times poorly coached or unmotivated for games. Um, you look back at like the Citadel game or the Syracuse game two years ago, or um, you know, I think of another one like Boston College last year or Boston College two years ago, or there's just been these series of games where they don't maybe play up um, to the, they play down to the competition, which is one of those classic coaching cliches. Um, So that's big, right? Like just, you know, it'd be one thing if you're losing games and there, you know, if every game was like the Miami game they lost last year or the Boston College game they lost last year, that was, you know, kind of a nail biter game and, and they're in it and, but they'll be like that pit game where they just gave up like really early it's in got the game. Boat race. Um, yeah, and or the two the last two games of last season against Notre Dame and, and or the Clemson game three years ago, two years whatever it was, the seventy three seven game. That was two years ago. Mm-hmm. Um those games, like that stuff is what is a killer because you had Paul Johnson who gave you a fighting chance every time you went on the field, right? And before that, Chan was pretty good about not getting blown out except for that UGA game. Um out of the gates but like you know most of the time you had a shot right o'leary most of the time you had a shot except for when they played florida state like um that's not happening right now so that's a frustration like and i think that's a big part of it i think you know the way coach collins was out of the box his brashness his um <laughs> you know I, I don't want to get this into politics but it was not dissimilar to certain political figures and how they 
sell their brands um to to their bases right like Mm -hmm. he was pushing what he wanted to sell on the fan base and saying things that some people wanted to hear right people who were tired of what paul johnson was doing or tired of kind of this ho-hum you know coaching nature they wanted a young coach for the 2020s right um and they got that but it's it's been for most people more style than substance that's been the big complaint from tech fans so Mm -hmm. That's that's one part of it. You know, part they've had literally you could roll a dice and come up with the weird things that have happened. They've had two players die. Like I've been doing this for 20 years. I've I had never had a player die before Brandon Adams that I covered, like you know, and, and covering multiple schools, like even. So that was, you know, just bad luck, right? Like mm-hmm. they had Keon White break his leg last year, like who was supposed to be the star defensive lineman for them that they literally built the team around on defense. So there's been a lot of like, just kind of, and then just, you know, bad hires, bad people don't like the contract Collins got like, you know, um, just a lot of stuff. Tech fans are very pragmatic to begin with. (laughs) So that pragmatism really surfaces when, when they're unhappy with what's going on. They love Jeff to year one. They kind of sat through it. They, you know, the first, game of 2020 the first COVID game down at florida state you get jeff sims yes he's really going after it and then you you know lose that central florida game and then the wheels just kind of came off the bus and then the the egg at syracuse was just like what are we doing right and then they'll go out and boat race louisville you know last year they you know just rolled unc and then got rolled by Pitt. like what is this team right mm-hmm. like and you can see like at times they can play well they play up Clemson. They played a great game at Clemson, right? Mm-hmm. Like played within every inch of their ability with, with what they had to, to be there and have a chance to win that game. And they beat UNC and then they just look terrible gets pet because Jeff turns the ball over twice early and they kind of curl up into the fetal position. Mm-hmm. So that's the, that's the rub. And he's got to motivate them around that. Is he capable of doing that? Right. This is the longest, I think Jeff Collins has ever been at one place is four years now, like in his entire career. So like, does, is the message ringing hollow? Where's that stand? Like those are all these questions going into the season. To me, when you look back at last year, they should have won six games at least. Right. Um, should have beat Miami. Should have beat Boston college. Should have beat, um, what's the other one that uh, probably should have oh, beat Northern Illinois. Should be NIU, should be Clemson. Like, I mean, you're talking about inches away from beating Northern Illinois, right? Like, um, but, you know, a lot of goodwill has been burned in this interim time. You know, yeah. Jeff, Jeff did a mistake that I see a lot of coaches make, which is he took a really good contract and probably didn't have the pool he needed for assistance to go into the job. And, and you want to know why Dabo Sweeney's successful? Because when he was a young coach, he f- went and he was foregoing money to, to pay assistance for a long time until he built his thing up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think it's one of those things like it's one thing if you're here and you have Paul Johnson and Paul Johnson's your offensive coordinator and you're paying him a lot of money because he's doing two jobs. Jeff wasn't doing that either. So um, he had a bargain offensive coordinator, Dave Patnode. Mm-hmm who didn't do a good job no matter you can there's a lot of reasons why not all of them were within his control but he didn't do a good job yeah and so they sit here you know bad on offense bad on defense and mediocre special teams and field goal kicking and punting was not great last year either Mm -hmm. 
so what get, what's in, what's improving what's getting better that's the things that they've got to show and they open with the gauntlet you got clemson you got the western carolina game on f- short rest they play at central florida and old mess like that's a if you had the 2014 team that would be a hill to climb at georgia tech mm-hmm. um so it'll be interesting to see how how they respond, how the team responds. Um, you know, the off season from, from what I've tracked is, has gone really well for Georgia tech, but you know, they need everyone's <laughs> everyone, everyone says things are great until you, you strap them up and you got to walk out on a Mercedes Benz field and play a giant Clemson team. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and you referred to Kelly. I mean, there, there's been a decent amount of tur- turnover on this coaching staff, and that was something that we hadn't seen in this program under under Collins yet. I mean, I believe that the coaching staff was fully consistent top to bottom those first three years, and now this year I believe there were seven of the ten assistants that turned over. And, and one of the ones you mentioned was Dave Patnode. He was relieved of his duties pretty much immediately following the Georgia game last year. Uh, he was replaced by Chip Long, who I, I believe was most recently at Tulane, but probably most famously was at Notre Dame for uh, two or three years there under Brian Kelly. What was the, I, I guess in, in your mind, what is the biggest thing that he's going to bring to the offense and to the play calling, to the game planning, everything that, that Dave Patnode wasn't giving this team? I felt like Dave Patnode forced, you know, was, you know, like Cinderella, like all those girls trying to force their foot into that shoe. Mm-hmm. He was uh, trying to force his offense into a shoe that didn't fit. You know, Jeff Sims has a certain skill set. James Graham before him certainly had a very distinct skill set. Mm-hmm. You know, from talk, I've, I've gotten to know Chip pretty well um, since he's been here. And, I mean, he would line up in the bone if it if he thought it would win a game. Like, mm-hmm. he's going to come up with a way to move the football. If the offensive line's not good, he'll scheme around that. If, you know, the receivers can't get off blocks, can't get off their um, – can't get separation he'll come up with something for that if they can't run the ball he'll come up with something to work around that that's just been his mo he's he's his schemes have always sort of steered towards what the team's built for this is a team i think that's built um to to create matchups on the outside with the big receivers they have running backs that move well in space and then you have jeff sims who can run the football and really they have uh you know two quarterbacks um tayson the transfer from Clemson, he can run the football too. So you got two guys who are very skilled at that. I think you've got to really lean into that and make that your identity. And we're going to be tough and run the football with, with Sims and Dante Smith and Hassan Hall and Dylan McDuffie. And this is what we're doing. And, and we're going to play downhill and play fast. And we're going to fix our personnel and line guys up in weird places and throw screens and make Jeff's job easier. They're not going to make Jeff Sims make four reads when he drops back. It's going to be two reads, get rid of the ball or run Mm -hmm. like, and that's what he needs. He's not a guy that's at this point in his career, ready to scan the field and nor does he feel comfortable, nor do they have the offensive line to do that. So like you've got to put him in a position to be successful. And I felt like that's where, you know, Dave Pato really struggled at times. I didn't understand, like, you know, when Sims gets hurt and they put George Yates in and they got him dropping straight back in the pocket. I'm like, what the hell are you doing? Like, mm-hmm. students, you know, not even six foot tall. Like, yeah. move him around, let him see the field, play to his strengths. But they didn't do it. They did, they did that kid wrong, like, with that offense and, and trying to throw him into it. Like, it just made no sense to me. And, um, you know, with Jeff, it worked okay. But, again, it's still not what I would have done with him either. If, and, I don't think that, you know, I think they're seeing the things that made Florida State hesitant with Jeff a little bit too and taking him. 
that he's a guy that wasn't maybe ready to play day one and he got forced into it just because of the situation and he did a really good job at first and then when they had to give more to him teams adjusted to what they were doing he really struggled Mm -hmm. that's you know it's funny you talk about some of these things of of pat node not really playing to his players strengths and it was like Mm -hmm. I feel like I saw that as well as we, t- we talked about it on this podcast. I think we talked about it maybe last year in the preview. It's like there kind of wasn't a lot of consistency under Pat note of like game planning and, and like it was offense of the week, man. Like, yeah, it was like, we're going to run these six plays this week. Right. Yeah. We saw this on tape. So they put in the jet sweep and then like the guy would, you know, the timing on the jet sweep would be crap because they didn't practice it enough. Like, you know, so much of offense is timing. That's the one thing I like about what Chip's doing with the offense. Chip has a core of plays, and they can run them out of a variety of different formations mm-hmm. with different personnel groupings. The tight end can line up on the outside as a wide receiver, whatever. But it's still the core plays that they practice. You know, when I watch practice, they're doing the same thing over and over again, like drilling at home so the execution's crisp. And that was the one thing I, I – you know, I've watched them practice one thing one day, and they go into game week and change what they were doing kind of dramatically where things just would never come into the game plan. Like that I thought were things that I would certainly put in the game plan. And I'm not even a coach, like just watching them and how they executed. It was like, try this. Like, and from talking to former players, you went from, again, Paul Johnson, who was a guy that was could draw a play up on the sideline on the grass, like, which he literally did that when he was coached Georgia Tech. He drew a play in the dirt on the sideline um, for a touchdown. But, like, you went from that, a guy that was really good at adjusting in games, to, to Pat Note, who struggled with that. That was not his his thing. I think he was just probably a level too high. And it's not a knock on him. He was facing Brett Bettables and really good defensive coordinators, facing Kirby Smart and his guys. Like, that's not like the B team, right? Like it's not like you're at Coastal Carolina or you're facing, you know, you know, the South Florida DC or the UCF one or whatever. You're facing like literally the best, some of the best of the best, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's tough, right? They're going to make adjustments. And at times he found ways to counterpunch, but a lot of times he didn't. And my biggest qualm with him too was, and this was funny. I talked to an opposing coach who played Georgia Tech and he was, he was joke with me. They would watch the film. They'd move the ball down the field, run the football. They'd get to the 30, and they'd start throwing the football for no reason. They'd get sacked and turn the ball over. And they did this in the Notre Dame game where they had a chance to make it a game. Like, they're moving the ball down the field, and then they do something. They got cute and turned the ball over, right? And just the inability to execute in the red zone, that's the thing that Chip Long was also really good at. In Notre Dame, they always were in the top half of the country in, in red zone efficiency, even in the top 25 several times. Mm-hmm. That, those are the things, like just basic execution, that if you put that on the team the last two years, they probably have seven more wins. Like, And Jeff Collins is not on the hot seat, and things are, are going a lot better for everyone involved. You know, season ticket sales, all of the things that matter are better. But because you screwed one thing up, it impacts everything else. And to me, like the, the bad offense impacted the defense as much as anything, too. Like. Mm-hmm. It's a yin and yang. How many times did, you know, you see, have you seen teams play better when they're, when one side of the ball is doing something right. And when they're both bad and both one of them struggles, it really snowballs on you. So it made the defense look that much more incompetent because they felt like they had to be perfect every play and you can't be on defense. Right. Well, and that was another sticking point for sure last year. And I, I think I saw where, where you were seeing it, especially late in, you know, probably the second half of the year, 
the secondary, especially on defense, had just a ton of busts where it almost looked like guys were trying to play hero ball and and do something like and just getting picked apart. And, and one of the things that led to by the end of the year was uh, both what Jeff Popovich and uh, I'm trying to remember the other Nate Burton. Nate Burton. Jeff Popovich, Nate Burton get relieved of their duties. Uh, and I think, you know, talking about coaching changeover, you know, first of all, those two roles, safeties coach and corners coach got uh, combined for, you know, tr- just Travaris Tillman as the defensive backs coach. But I think the other piece of that, Kelly, that people were kind of uh, like unclear on or, or very frustrated with, frankly, was that Andrew Thacker, the defensive coordinator, was not relieved when, again, the, d- the defense was wholly ineffective down the stretch. Um, I know he's still in position as defensive coordinator. He does not have position coaching duties. Is there something actually different about this defense now with, with kind of a changed up, uh, structure of coaches or, you know, being that Thacker is still the defensive coordinator, you know, is that still going to be a different day, same show uh, of what we've seen the first three years? So what I saw last year, it was even beyond what you talk about, you see the linebackers get out of position because they felt like they had no help behind them. Also, you know, guys gambling on and being in the wrong spaces. Um, all of that has gone away, at least in the spring. Um, I haven't seen it. Like I've seen guys actually doing what they're supposed to do, being in the right spots, making plays. I feel like the back sort of seven of the defense is pretty solid. Um and, and looks much more like what I expected, even what I saw in practice in the past. Those guys would typically practice pretty well, and then they would lose their minds in the game. And you'd see, you know, one guy yelling at another guy in the secondary and pointing at each other and whatever. And all of those guys who did those things are no longer on the team now. Like they've, you know, a couple of them are trying to make the NFL, and then one of them transferred out. And that's probably a good thing for Georgia Tech. Like, um, I think you need guys are on the same page. Uh, Tillman doesn't suffer any fools like Travars Tillman. He's pretty intense, dude. He's sort of changed that mantra. You have Jason Seymour who took over the linebacker spot. That group seems to be doing better. Thacker sort of helps Tillman out with the secondary um, with some safety coaching and things like that. I think for Thacker, it was it's a hard job right now with the the tempo offenses to be a defensive coordinator. I've talked I was talking to a buddy of mine who's at um, a Mac school right now, and he was funny. He said if you know, he's a, a really like experienced coach in the sixties, he was like, if I had to do it all over again, I'd be an offensive coach because I had no idea this was coming, and mm-hmm. it's almost impossible to coach defense now unless you just overmatch people up front. Mm-hmm. And they're still not there, right? They're still trying to rebuild that defensive line room. Um, you know, they had some strange setbacks with Jared Ivey transferring to Ole Miss and, and Jordan Dominic going to Arkansas. They're two starting ends, but they were the two least effective defensive ends in the entire ACC. And among the worst in the P5, like they were in the bottom probably four in the P5 too. Like just no pressure, no, no real sacks, playmaking, anything. Dominic made some plays, but just not enough, like not what you expect. And they would tell you that themselves, like they didn't. So now that's all been reset. You have Larry Knight coaching DNs. You have David Turner coaching D tackles, who is a guy who's put a lot of guys in the NFL. There's a seriousness about that group. You know, again, you know, how many times has Georgia Tech been great on the defensive line? Like in the last 20 years, not much. So, um, you know, if they can get after the passer and, and maintain their gaps and stuff, I think they have enough talent 
behind them to 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 be better. I mean, if they're in the top, this is what I've told everybody. If they're in the top seventy in offense, let's say top sixty in offense, top seventy in defense, they win six seven games and go bowling. Right? Probably, yeah. They were, you know, nowhere near that last year. Um, so it, it comes down to that, right? Like you need to be able to score the ball. They need to score as much as humanly possible. And that will take pressure off the defense. And I think the defense will play better because they do have talent. Mm-hmm. Like on both sides of the ball, they have talent. It's just not been harnessed yet. Yeah. They had a pretty ridiculous run too. I remember the, the final count, I believe, was a single interception all year by the secondary. Maybe two. against a, a, Well, so the secondary, yeah, I think it was one. And no corners. It was one, and it was against um, Duke. Was it the FCS? Uh, oh no, it was Wani Thomas. Yeah, to end the Duke game. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the only one. Charlie Thomas had two. Mm. The linebacker he had one against um, Kennesaw State, maybe, and then Sounds another right. one or something of like it. Or maybe it was two against Kennesaw State. I forget. Yeah. But it was literally like the worst stat you could possibly have in that category too in the country. Yep. And. Again, what does Jeff Collins talk about? You had the the board with your names on it and your hashtags and your your Twitter handles. Mayhem. And yeah, you know, and so that's where this stuff gets frustrating for fans, right? Like, and you had a you had last year a fourth year junior that had played a lot at one safety spot. You had a fifth year senior at the other safety spot. And a starting corner who's a fourth year player, fifth year player, whatever it was, Trey yeah. Swilling. Well, and I and wrote they were, that, they, they were guys who struggled. Like, yeah. you know, that was a crazy part. I was going to say, I, I wrote that article, you know, mid year about the secondary being bad. And it was like, well, you got to realize that four of the five starters are the same guys that started the first game under Collins three years ago. Like, these guys are supposed to get better as they play together, and they're not. And I think that was a major point of frustration. And to me, that come to me like those guys can play football. Like I know I've watched Trace Willing. I've watched you know, Trace Willing is not the fastest guy in the world. He's certainly not as bad as he looked at, in games mm-hmm. the last couple of years. Wanye Thomas is a freaky talented athlete. Um, he, he is. He obviously showed what he can do at times. You know, Tariq Carpenter, a guy that's a really talented guy, but was you know beset with a lot of injuries the last two years. But I mean, he was better as a true freshman than he was his last year at Georgia Tech. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about the UCF, UC, USF game. They lose that game because I think he got ejected, and it changed like the whole course of that game defensively for them, um, along with the two kick returns that were sketchy, <laughs> but one of which was a really blatant block in the back. But, um, yeah, so, like, you know, the, so the cornerstone of Jeff Collins' program is supposed to be player development. And clearly wasn't getting done, and he fired the guys who were the most egregious at it, which were, you know, the secondary guys where you weren't really seeing much of anything. Like Zamari Walton was as good as he was when he played a couple games under Paul Johnson as freshman year. You know, Trace Willing was not that much different when he left than when he played his couple of games from Paul Johnson's last season, like under uh, Nate Woody. Like, um, and then you look at like, you know, uh, you know. Wanye and Rake, guys who had NFL talent, like NFL measurables, NFL speed, and you couldn't turn them into anything. So I think that was the right move. If Whether Tavares Tillman's the guy that can turn the tide or not, they have plenty of talent. Like Miles Sims, Zamari Walton would start at a lot of ACC schools. Jalen King would start at a lot of places. 
Derek Allen would start at a lot of places. Caleb Edwards, who would probably be the nickel, would start at a lot of places. Like, they're talented enough to do it. Even the guys behind them, Kenyatta Watson, Miles Brooks, like, there's plenty of talent. Kenny Bennett's a talented guy, like the kid they got from Maryland, transfer, Kari G. Mm-hmm. Like, they've got talent. It's just a matter of um, getting something out of that. And, and this is a player development program. Georgia Tech's always going to be that way. It's never going to be Alabama where it's you're going to go steal the three best transfers in the country and you're going to sign five-star guys and four-star guys and have your pick of whoever else you want. It's never going to be the case. Like it would take, you know, 20 years of like solid winning or something to, for even, and even then I still don't know that it would happen because the academic piece of it. Mm -hmm. And it's always going to be a little bit of an uphill fight. Right. So like, you can't make it where it's like a constant, you can't make it worse, but not coaching well. Yeah. And that's sort of been the issue. Like really where have we seen player development? Um, you know, to short choice in that running back room, I thought he did a nice job with those guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Kerry Dixon for what he inherited receivers did a good job. He's in the NFL now with the Ravens. They brought in Del, Del Alexander who worked with, um, with uh, with Chip Long at Notre Dame and Arizona State to, to come coach receivers now. But really, you know, the offensive line, I don't know what to make of it because Brent Key's been just beset with injuries too. Like they've had five guys medical and um, of the guys they've signed out of high school, I think, at this point. Like medical Plus, DQs. Yeah, like just never play again, like Michael Rankins and um, – you know, the guy that was supposed to be their starting right tackle this year, Nick Penley, he played like one really great game, got concussed or something, got hurt, and then has never and he played a couple other games, didn't play particularly well, and then got medical DQ. Like, you know, and he's helping coach now on the team. Like, um, there's just a bunch of stories like that with just had bad luck. You know, Kenny Cooper's career had like two different career ending injuries. A poor guy. He was a Remington award watch guy when, he, when they got here and he played three games, got hurt fourth game or whatever it was redshirted. It's just it, this the list goes on and on, right? Like they lose the Miami game because Mikey Minahan, the center last year got hurt. Mm-hmm. They had to bring in a true freshman to play center. Like, because they're, because Kenny Cooper was gone, so they had no left guards. So they played Will Lay at left guard and played Weston Franklin. So, I mean, it's just this whole domino thing, right? Mm-hmm. Last year, they ended the season with like the third team guards playing and, you know, a true freshman center. Like, there's been was, a couple points where I've been wondering, like, what do they do to these guys in practice that's getting them all hurt all the time? <laughs> like, and it's, it, it's just like totally random. Like, um, every one of the injuries my understanding from talking to parents and, and some of the kids and stuff was just, just bad luck, like dumb stuff, you know, you know, con- concussion protocols, all those things. Georgia tech is very serious about their medical stuff. So they, you know, like think about AJ gray a few years ago, like they found something that most teams would never find like a heart defect. Mm-hmm. And that's just because of the thoroughness of it. But it's also a negative. If you're a football coach, it's great that they're safe. it's one of those things that's hurting, hurting your depth on your offensive line at this point where you have, you know, three guys who played meaningful snaps back this year and only one of them is a projected starter right now. Yep. 
So, you know, there's, there's just a, it's been literally, like I said, just about every bad thing. It's like Jeff Collins created like the worst karma in the world because he came in and kind of crapped on Paul Johnson and, and Paul Johnson like put a voodoo curse on him or something. <laughs> and they have had every possible thing go wrong that you can and every kind of blunder and coaching. I mean, think about that Citadel game where they called the timeout on the play where Tobias oh, scored yeah. the touchdown. Yep. And then ran out of time because he misheard what the ref said about the the start of the whistle and just stuff like that, like just bad coaching, bad mistakes, guys getting hurt at weird times. Sylvain Yonderjohn, one of the defensive linemen I really like, has been hurt like four different times. Like, you know, he'll start to like turn the quarter and then he gets hurt again. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if it's a training thing. Like you watch what the injuries are and they're like freak things like, Keon White was playing pickup basketball when he broke his leg, you know, like, and Paul Johnson had plenty of that too. Like they had guys, everybody has it. It's not unique to Georgia tech, but the amount that they've had with Jeff Collins is unique. Yeah. I mean, if anyone could figure out a way to put a voodoo curse on somebody, I I trust Paul Johnson would be uh, high up on that list to figure that out. (laughs) He doesn't hate Jeff. That's like the funniest part of all this. He's sort of, they've made peace with each other or whatever. Yeah. He's not really angry with Jeff. He was more angry with other people around that didn't, didn't nip that in the bud immediately when when Jeff was kind of rolling on that. Uh, oh, we're going to get back to ten wins and being in the top twenty five every year, and you're winning three games. Like, yep. didn't didn't fly real well. And yeah, there's a reason why Paul Johnson left too. Like, if the job was easy, Paul Johnson went. He was a competitive guy. He wasn't going to go. He knew the job was getting harder and harder every year, and it was just like he was fighting with a hand tied behind his back. That was part of why he left yep. and felt supported. Like. It's it's a whole ball of you know ball of yarn when you look at Georgia Tech and you can pick at the different threads of it, but there's diff, there's a hundred different reasons why they are in the situation they're in right now and yeah. and Jeff Collins is part of it, but there's plenty of other people that have just as much responsibility as he does. Well, and as you've outlined, I mean, some of it's just just bad luck, and that, that's that's kind of how it goes, I guess. Let's take a quick break to remind you about Section103.com. It is the Internet's premier place for buying all sorts of great officially licensed Georgia Tech apparel. They have got all sorts of great T-shirts, sweatshirts, hoodies. Uh, They've got stickers now. They've got something for the whole family, men, women, children, everything. Go check them out. Once again, it's Section103.com. You're looking for shirts that are in the official Tech Gold. You're looking for shirts with the ATL logo on them. You're looking for other officially licensed things. Those things are hard to find in a lot of places for some reason. I don't know why. You can find them all on section103.com. Again, go go there, check them out. Use promo code GOACC for 10% off your first order. And, and again, they have some stickers that have just come out. Those, those are really cool. Everything is really high quality that I've gotten from them. Uh, I've gotten some of the performance shirts. I've got one of the hoodies. Um, everything I've got there is, is great, and it really goes great on a Saturday afternoon supporting the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets at Bobby Dodd Stadium or – Anywhere else, you're in the Thriller Dome, you're at uh, McCamish Stadium, you're at uh, the Rusty Sea, you are going to a volleyball game. You need something to support Georgia Tech, go to section103.com. They have great products, they are all officially licensed, got those official word marks, the official colors, everything. Everything you could ask for, you can go find it all there. Once again, use promo code GOACC for 10% off your first order when you do go. Appreciate Steven and the gang for their partnership with Basketball Conference. We look forward to another great football season partnering with them. And now let's get back to it. 
I, I did want to ask you, Kelly. You know, talking about some of the transfers, and, and um, uh, in particular, I think one of the one of the interesting kind of rounds of transfers is the quarterback room. Uh, so, as you mentioned, Jordan Yates he transfers out. Uh, Trad Beatty and uh, Chaden Peary both gone as well. They bring in Ty Pumachon. They bring in uh, a couple other uh, Zach Pyron and Zach Gibson. Uh, Pyron, the freshman, Gibson out of Akron. So for a room that last year had Jeff Sims and three other guys, and this year has Jeff Sims and three other guys, it's a total changeover. Is it is it a safe assumption right now that this is still Jeff Sims' job and Jeff Sims' team until proven otherwise, or is there a reasonable threat that like a Ty Pumachon might overtake him and be the starter game one against Clemson? If anyone other than Jeff Sims starts a game, Georgia Tech's in a lot of trouble this year. Hmm. Um, that's you know having watched them. You know, I haven't seen Taysom throw yet, but like knowing what I know about all the characters and even from talking to people and sources and stuff, it's Jeff's team. Like they made made sure to keep do things to keep Jeff Sims around too. Like he has some nice NIL stuff and like it's Jeff's team. It's built around Jeff. He's the guy. If it's not Jeff, they're in a lot of trouble because really the reality is each of those backup quarterbacks if you combined all three of them, you'd have a good quarterback, mm. but they're not there. Like Zach Pyron just doesn't know what he's doing yet. He's a true freshman. Like he's not ready to play. He was not a guy that anyone expected to, to play as a true freshman. He just has a lot to learn, like just about how to read defenses and understanding his role in offense and getting the ball out. Zach Gibson's issue, um, you know, with him to me from watching him a lot, a uh, ball gets out a little bit slow and he's, you know, doesn't have enough, urgency with his passing at times um and, and just probably isn't quite athletic enough um given how porous the line's likely to be to play like you know zach's you know zach gibson's got plenty of arm talent but um he's shown a propensity to turn the ball over to a little bit mm-hmm. and you know i think he's got a ways to go before he'd be ready to jump in the mix and then Tayson um runs the ball really well just not a great thrower not really didn't get developed um in terms of his throwing at clemson and i don't know if that's on them and you gotta think too he's been he spent basically six months completely away from football um from the end of the season until he got to georgia tech so that's it's a lifetime in you know college football so i think he's trying to knock that rust off he was never like you know this ace quarterback um coming out so i think there's a lot of stuff that has to be done with that group Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, you know, when you look at it, I think it's a net positive, like where they're at, um, compared to a year ago, but, um, I think that they, they, they still don't really have anyone to, to truly push Jeff Sims. Yeah. Well, and as you mentioned, I mean, not only quarterback, but then the other kind of sticking point there is who's protecting him and has been a sticking point the whole time. And again, for potentially for reasons within the team's control, but also occasionally team, you know, for reasons outside of their control, they bring in a couple of transfers. Uh, Pierce Quick, I believe it was. Um, yep. I guess his brother Riley was the one that quit football to play baseball. He's a five star. Yep. Anyways, Pierce Quick and Paul Chio uh, transfer in from Alabama and Clemson, respectively. Between those two guys, and then what they have coming back, hopefully some development year over year. Is this offensive line going to be? as hapless as we've seen, or is is there going to be a notable difference in step forward here? I guess both between another year of development as well as in a different scheme that might 
play to their uh, play to their skills a little better. <laughs> you know, it's going to be hard to tell. Um, you know, right now you look at it, they're flipping Jordan Williams left tackle. Um, you have two guys who've never played a snap of college football at right tackle right now, Jakiah Leftwich and Wayne Green. And then you have the two transfer guards, Paul Tio and, and uh, Pierce Quick. And then Weston Franklin, who played a little bit last year, who Brent Key loves uh, at center. That's sort of your core guys behind. The, you know, they have a little bit of depth now. Will Lay can play all the guard box spots um, and has. Paula Viapulu's played quite a bit of guard and can play tackle in a pinch. Uh, they like, you know, they like Corey Robinson and Tyler Gibson who are two new freshmen that have come in. Um, it's going to be hard to tell because, you know, they start out with Clemson, man. That's not – that's starting out with Western Carolina where you can get some confidence going. And they're going against, you know, eight different defensive linemen that all probably play in the NFL. Um, they Take, get rotated in and out every other snap. Taking the final exam in the first week of school. <laughs> yeah, like, you know, that's tough, right? Like, um, but – I think if they can get through it, I think there's, you know, some real potential. Jordan Williams has lost a ton of weight. He looks like a different player. He's moving really well. Um, I like, you know, what I saw from Pierce Quick. I thought he was pretty solid. Weston Franklin's done a nice job at center. Um, you could start sort of start to see the light come on a little bit for him towards the very end of the year. He he, he was thrown to the Wolves having to play last year because they had to play lay at guard. Um you know, I'm real curious about Ja'Kai Leftwich and Wing Green. I think that was it. They were both playing left tackle in the spring, and they decided to flip them. Wings played both the whole time, and, and Ja'Kai has played both last year. So I'll be curious to see what that looks like in, in fall camp. Um, you know, the bar's set low, right? Like, the line's been really bad. Um, the They have not had consistent play. You know, they've had maybe one game where they've looked really consistent um, and in the last year on the offensive line. So the bar set low. So I, I think it's it would be hard to be worse. But, um, yeah, I'm sure that Brent Key's not sleeping well at night right now, thinking about Clemson and, and what they're facing out of the gate and that he's got to get these guys ready. And they've done what they can, but, you know, when you lose, you know, Michael Rinkins was a guy they thought would be a starting you know, right tackle in college football. And he made it through a spring basically and was gone like because of a medical, you know, Nick Penley, they recruited him to be the replacement for Michael Rankins. He's gone. Like when you have that happen over and over again, it's just, it's hard to recover from anywhere. I mean, even places like Georgia, Alabama can sometimes run into issues when they start running, you know, when they have a couple of guys go down, the depth really starts to thin out quickly. Right. And, I'll be curious to see what it looks like in the fall. Well, and I think you've described it to us before that it's a little bit of a, call it a house of cards situation where, you know, you're like one or two injuries away from this being, going from a, a a pretty reasonable situation to like a pretty totally untenable situation. Is that, does that remain here? Or have they been able to build up any depth in your estimation? I think they have a little bit now, but it's still a little bit like playing Jenga at four in the morning when you've been out drinking, like, <laughs> you know, like, you're you're one sort of like twitch away from like knocking the whole thing over and <laughs> you know i mean i think you know right now i don't know what would happen if like you know weston franklin got hurt i don't know you know what, or you know god forbid jordan williams like mm. 
you know, like what happens there, like that changes the whole entire dynamic of the offensive line. So they they're they're due for some sort of luck at this point. Um, I would expect to see, uh, you know, a more cohesive unit now. These are all mostly guys that that you know Brent Key recruited. Um, obviously, he recruited Pierce to Alabama before he came to Tech. He, um, you know, T.O., he had recruited really hard, so he knew those were relationships. And then the rest of the line is all guys he brought into Georgia Tech now. So um, Lord knows that's when it should start to show up on the field. And Brent's a good coach. Like, he's been – this has not really been traditionally an issue for him anywhere he's coached. So uh, I'm curious to see what point it turns and t- the tide turns on it and they start looking like what you would expect. Yep. Kelly, at this point, we've talked quite a bit about the offense and the defense. And with most te- most teams, I, I think that's sufficient. But I think with this team, it's also worth talking about the special teams. Um, in no small part, because it is one of those numerous uh, cliches, catchphrases that Jeff Collins has liked to go back to, at least from early in his time, was the emphasis on special teams. And they're going to try to be elite on special teams. And it, in a lot of ways, it seems like they've kind of been anything but <laughs> – <laughs> he's been here um i mean you talk about just in every phase i mean blocked blocked field goals uh, getting their own field goals blocked sorry um various debacles giving up return touchdowns i mean it's 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 been a mess uh, has with the, with the coaching restructure a has there been any you know do we, should we really expect a, a real improvement this year on that end of things and then b in the kicking game i mean can you give me some hope? Is there any hope to be had in the kicking game? <laughs> it's- well, they signed a kicker, Aiden Burr, um, from Texas. I think that's where Aiden's from. And he tore up his knee, so he's going to miss the entire season before he ever arrived at Georgia Tech. All right. He did that in, like, April. So, yeah, we're off to a banging start. They have, Jude, <laughs> they have Jude Kelly and Gavin Stewart back. They've both been in the program several years. Uh, you get to see them in the spring game. They both kicked pretty well. Um they're both capable. I've watched them kick literally hundreds of field goals in practice, right? Like we get to watch practice every week, a couple times a week. Like I've seen the dudes kick them successfully. I don't know what happens on game day. Like the, again, it's like some sort of voodoo doll, like someone sticking a pin in the kicker voodoo doll, of like the kicker's leg or something. Then <laughs> like low ball in it, or, you know, some guy getting blown up on the line and, and giving up a free run to the, the kicker. I, I think they should be better. Like, is it going to be, you know, Harrison Bucker? Hell no. Mm. Like, you know, is it Wesley Wells even? Probably not. Like, if they could get back to, like, you know, the bad Scott Blair, early Scott Blair, when he was not as good. Like, that would be solid. People would take that at this point. Like, you know, a guy that can hit a 45-yard field goal. Like, because it, it sucks for the offense. Like, it, it changes how you coach. And Paul Johnson's talked about this a lot. But, like, when you know you can't kick a field goal it ch- or your line is so far in, it changes the entire way you coach a game. Mm-hmm. And that's where they're at right now. So um, the bar is set super low, right? Last year they were functional. They're still not good, but they were functional. Like they could get off most of their PATs cleanly and kicked a few field goals. Um, so the bar is low. Can they move it up? You know, I don't know. I, I'm hopeful. I like both those kids. Um Gavin Stewart, the younger brother of Brad Stewart, former Georgia Tech wideout. Um, great story there. Also a kickoff guy. And then, um, you know, punter David Shanahan. 
it was the first time ever playing football last year. So he was a little bit uh, in the weeds. Like he had never stepped on the field the first game. It was literally the first time he'd ever played football, basically in pads, like a live game that was meant something. So, uh, well, you know, he had a lot to learn. It's interesting because he's ambidextrous kicker. If that's the right, I don't know if that's the right word for legs. He can kick either way. Um, I haven't seen a lot of that yet, but he can squib it. He played rugby. He can kick with both legs for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. So we'll maybe see that at some point from him. I, I still think there's some improvement there. Um, they changed up kind of what the responsibilities are a little bit. Um, Mike Daniels, the new running backs coach, is handling kick return and punt return. He, that was some of Tishard Choice's job um, before Jason Seymour is involved in kickoff coverage and punt coverage, I think. And then Brent Key's doing PAT field goal stuff. So that's sort of where they're at. They have a specialist, too, who works with kickers. I can't remember his name. It's a new guy. He was there in the spring. Um, so they're trying different things, uh, you know, I, I hope it works. This the snapping games, pretty much the same guys are back there. Kick return will be interesting, and punt return just to see who they trot out there. Uh, you know, I don't know that you're going to see Dante Smith and Hassan Hall take back kicks. Those are probably two of the better options. Leek Rutherford, um, who redshirted last year in the slot, he's a pretty good kick return guy. Maybe you see him. Maybe you see, um, you know, one of the freshman kids that came in or someone kind of random back there with punt return they typically have leaned toward a db type Mm -hmm. um i don't know who that would be on the team now but um there are a few different guys who've returned punts in their careers so they'll imagine be a pretty open competition nate mccollum i think is the one guy who's actually done it in a game before that's that's still on the team and with the way the slots are being used and and using so many two tight end packages, maybe his legs will be fresher. So maybe it does make sense to use Nate there. Yeah. Kelly, before we talk schedule, I, I wanted to run a, a little bit of a theory by you. And, you know, I, I, I know a lot of, I have a lot of friends. I have a lot of, uh, you know, people that I know that are Georgia tech fans who are really pessimistic about this team and this program through three years. And, and every time that they're saying, oh, it's going to be another, you know, two or three win season. Did you see this schedule? Like new coach is going to co- you know, come in, like all this stuff, blah, 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 blah. I, I tell them, I, I feel like there is a little bit of a reason for optimism. It's in, in my mind, it's the idea that if the biggest problem for this program through three years, we could probably say is coaching, right? Like the roster is in a better spot than it was when they took over, like, that's a that's in an okay place. The issue has been coaching. Well, if you've overturned, you know, most of your you're turned over most of your coaching staff, maybe that problem kind of resolves itself a little bit and you see a significant step forward. In your mind, is that a valid theory or approach for this team as a whole going into this year? So when they got here, the first staff they put in had I think the only assistant with P five experience. We use that as sort of a demarcation, I think, was Brent Key. Everyone else on the staff had never worked at a P5 school as, a, as an on-the-field assistant coach. Mm. You look at the staff today, and Javaris Tillman was at Michigan State. David Turner's coached pretty much every SEC school and several ACC schools. Um, Chip Long, obviously Notre Dame, Arizona State. Um Dell Alexander, same schools, Arizona State, Notre Dame. Uh, 
you know, Chris Winkie was at Tennessee and, and an NFL quarterbacks coach. Um, so, and, you know, and the one guy they brought in who didn't have that Jason Seymour was a defensive coordinator last year in FCS. So like, to me, this is, I joked about this with Jeff Collins and it was, you know, like he's not going to say it, but I was like, this is the staff you should have opened with, not what you opened with. Like when you got the job where you took your temple staff basically and added Brent key and Tashard to it. And Marco Coleman, by the way, Marco Coleman was a first time coach, literally like he had basically been like a part-time NFL assistant. Um, you had all these guys doing their first jobs and I think it showed, right? Like, and I think Jeff was stepped into a little bit of a turnkey situation at Temple with a guy with a simple, with a similar temperament and style to his in that role. And it worked okay. Like, and they were okay. And the, they weren't playing very good competition every week in that league. And, and they played up at times and the kids had confidence to play well. You step in here and you're rolling everything over and on top of it, you're telling them that, you know, we're going to have to rebuild this and we're trying to do X, Y, and Z. And then you have these coaches who are not used to coaching on this level. I think it was a bad combination of things. And, you know, it made for a poor product, right? Like you cook a meal with bad ingredients, you're probably going to have a bad meal. Mm -hmm. Like, And I think that's where you saw this sort of roller coaster of a team all the time. They could play up at Miami and go down and beat Miami and then, you know, their first year and then, you know, get drilled by, you know, lose to a bad Citadel team or lose to, you know, win an ugly game against a really bad USF team or like they've just never showed consistency. Um, the, the only consistency they've shown this whole time is the two games against Clemson and North Carolina last year and then the last two games of the season where they played like crap back to back every other week it's been like let's flip a coin and see which team and i am so not used to that having covered georgia tech for so long i covered georgia before that like i'm used to like watching you know at least expecting when i sat down in my seat to cover a game the team i covered to have a chance to win whatever that game was every week and i didn't know what the hell to expect like after that first season i was like you sat down and you'd be like what are we getting this week right are we getting the 70 73-7 Clemson game? Are we getting the Louisville game where they blow Louisville out? Like, are you getting something in between? And and I think that's what drives people nuts too. Like, and you, you know, you can't figure it out, right? Like with Paul Johnson, you understood usually where their struggles came was when they would play teams that either were really effective with tempo offense, moving the football and getting into high scoring game or when they were just physically overmatched, like playing Iowa or LSU or something like that, or a Georgia team with a really salty defense. Mm -hmm. But other than that, like you were like, okay, I'm sure there's some sort of plan this week. And yeah, even if you didn't like the offense, you felt like they had a chance to win the game. And here it's like, you, the, like how many games were you even favored in last season? You know, like four, maybe. Uh, yeah. Maybe if that, if, if that, like, you know, I mean, it's just, it's, it's come down so far. And so the good part of that is the bar's low now, right? Like this is where the bar is. Bar's getting a bowl game, right? Mm -hmm. You know, you know, the Paul Johnson said that the former AD refused to in 2017 to buy a bowl game for Georgia tech um, by scheduling a team for the UCF hurricane game. Right. Mm -hmm. Cause 
his, what Paul Johnson said was that the AD said it was not worth it. Like people expect more than to just go to a bowl game. Now everyone would die to go to the Bahamas bowl or whatever, the, you know, weed eater bowl or whatever. <laughs> like they'd be pleased to go play air force and independence bowl when people were down on that, you know, 10 years ago. Yeah. And you gotta get back to where that's the expectation. And, and can Jeff do that? I have no idea. Like, I don't think any of us know, like, We've not seen consistency from him either and how he gets the team ready every week and, and builds whatever the product is. And ultimately, he, at the end of the day, the two people who take responsibility are the AD, Todd Stansberry, and the head coach, Chef Collins. The sword will fall on those guys if it doesn't work. And Georgia Tech fans are not going to – there's no room for another three-win season. Like, that ain't happening. Like, they'll pull the plug on the whole operation. Like, if – if that's what the result is, then they're all toast. Like in my opinion, and I think you start over with something else, like a different strategy. Maybe you don't hire a Georgia tech guy. Maybe you hire the best guy for the job. Mm. Um, it's a no, no uh, novel thought, isn't it? Like, mm-hmm. you know, Bobby Ross wasn't exactly a tech man when he got hired. Neither was Paul Johnson. Like you don't necessarily have to hire guys who worked at Georgia tech. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, people ask me about like the O'Leary situation. Like, could they, you know, bring someone up on the staff and make them the head coach. Now, I don't, I don't see that as really a tenable solution either. But, um, you know, mainly just because they haven't been good enough. It was, it'd be one thing too if it was like when Tenuto was running that defense and they were really good with Chan, and you were like, okay, you know, if Tenuto wasn't such a jerk, he probably would have had a shot to be the head coach. Mm-hmm. His personality is what dictated that not happening. Um, but there's not that situation here either, where like there's some guy where you're like, okay, you know, you know, yes, but the offense has been good. So we'll make chip long the head coach or Brent key or whatever. Like, I don't see that. So, you know, one, one, there's two, there's two outcomes in my mind. They either do okay. Jeff buys himself another year or two, or the whole thing's getting blown up at the end of the year. And However that plays out, you know, I have no idea, right? Like that's, that's the beauty of college football too, man. Like mm-hmm. you can go and upset somebody there can, these guys could play out of their minds. It could be motivated by it, it could motivate the team. It could galvanize a team um, and make them want to play well. It can also have the other effect where they press and, and don't play well. And so I think that's, you know, the million dollar question going into the season. What, what does this team look like? And I'll be curious to see what happens. And it's interesting to me too that first game against Clemson, they're playing in the bends, right? With the mm-hmm. cat with the, the soccer configuration with the top closed. Yeah. Top deck closed. So it's less less seat more less seating Bobby Dodd Stadium, which is sort of fascinating to me. Like I guess the idea was to keep Clemson people from selling it out or something. I don't know. It it kind of begs what, the question what of what's the point like? in playing it there right like if you're if you're selling ten thousand fewer seats than you have in your own stadium well so yeah that was so to me that like that was sort of my thought as well like if you're going to play this game get out of bobby Dow, which is one of the greatest venues in, in all of college sports right like i've been to you know 50 state college stadiums or something at this point like it is one of the best there is in terms of just the atmosphere and everything if you're going to step away from that you need to have a reason why and and financially it needs to make a lot of sense mm-hmm. 
and obviously COVID's changed a lot of things for people. And, you know, I get the idea of not wanting to have, you know, 30,000 Clemson fans or whatever it would be, but it's going to be really interesting to see what the crowd looks like at 40, at a 42 cap or whatever, at 4,300 or whatever, and 43,000 or whatever it is that the, the cap is for the event, because if it's 50, 50, that's a really damning sign of like where things are at too. And and what does that Western Carolina game look like the next week? Like, <laughs> especially if they lose, like, you know, um, I do think uh, there's a good number of Georgia Tech fans that are bracing for the worst after hearing the news a couple weeks ago that that game is sold out. It's like, I don't think they uh, they sold 43,000 tickets to Georgia Tech fans for that game. Uh. <laughs> no, I'm sure that there's, there's going to be at least like, a, you know, a third Clemson fans. My question is, is half, right? And I don't think it will be, but that'd be really bad if it was. And it would be really disappointing for the kids too. And that's tough yeah. for them. Like, you give up you already had enough of a disadvantage when you play Clemson. Do you really want to give up your home field then? And you saw what happened in the UGA game. That's like literally one of the worst things I've ever seen in my life. Like covering like Georgia fans felt sorry. Like I was getting texts from buddies I went to school with in Georgia that were like, Man, that felt so bad for Georgia Tech today. Like, what the hell was that? Like yep. that's a tough place to be in, brother. Like, <laughs> you know, like I've been doing this a long time. Like it is it is tough. And, you know, the numbers have been sliding on that game anyways over the years. Like, mm-hmm. Tech hasn't won it in over 20 years at home anyways. But, like, goodness, man. Like, that was that was uh, something else. Like, you know, I mean, that was, like, where you end up in, like, Vanderbilt land or Duke. Mm-hmm. Like, when you have other teams come take over your stadium. That is not where you need to be, like, right. as a program. Regardless, of what, like just don't sell your tickets. Like, how, is it worth the two hundred bucks or whatever you were gonna make? Like, if you can afford season tickets, I don't think so. Right. Like, eat the ticket. Don't show up if like you don't want to watch it. Don't give it a UGA fan. Like, that's just stupid. Yeah. And that's one of the things that angered me the most is you see like the club section and there was all these UGA people and it's like, I was like, just take their tickets away from those people that gave them away, like or sold them, like. That's, you know, but that's a whole other discussion about how Georgia Tech <laughs> runs things and what I would do if I were in charge, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. It's neither here nor there. <laughs> I, you know, I, I don't disagree with a whole lot of anything you're saying, Kelly. I, I, I'm right there with you. And, uh, but I, I also understand, you know, the frustration on those those fans' ends as well. Uh, you you did mention kind of some of the expectations around this season and, and record and all that. And I just, I was going to point out, I mean, that's kind of an unfortunate year to have some of those expectations to double your win count because looking at this schedule, uh, it is not not really a particularly conducive to a big leap forward. Uh, you're, of course, you start with the, the Labor Day game against Clemson uh, there in Mercedes-Benz and then out of conference, home against Western Carolina, home against Ole Miss, at UCF in the bounce house. Uh, and then, of course, you close out at Georgia. I This is a painful schedule that has gotten a lot of national attention, I think, this offseason of, like, who came up with this? Why did this come to be? And and yet it, yeah, it, there's, it, a, there's a lot of reasons why. And it mostly hmm. involved money, but, like, you know, to get into it real quick, like, the Ole Miss game was punted for almost a decade by Ole Miss because they want to play Paul Johnson. Mm-hmm. The UCF game is the return game from the the hurricane game that got canceled in 2017 when a hurricane didn't actually hit Orlando and they sent all their kids home. And USF that's you know on the, actually on the coast 
to their west actually played that weekend with one practice, then beat Illinois uh, in a in a playoff game against a P five team. Mm-hmm. So that that was a fun one where Paul. I think that was about as angry as I've seen Paul Johnson that week when they they pulled the plug on that game. That ended up being UCF's uh, air quotes national championship season. Um, where they played one less game and and whatever and they were scared of playing the triple option i can tell you that from knowing some guys on the staff on the staff at the time at ucf they mm-hmm. were not looking forward to that game at that point but <laughs> um so that's how those games got set up the uh you know obviously play georgia and the clemson the clemson game being first is all about tv i mean next year i think they open with louisville and the bends too so um that's just uh, you know, Chick Fil A fabricated game, Peach Bowl, Chick Fil A Bowl, whatever it's called now. Um, but yeah, it sucks, right? Like you would ideally, um, well, first of all, ideally you wouldn't be playing. You know, as much as I just like UCF, they're as close to a P five team as there is outside of the P five, and better than probably about twenty P five teams, um, mm-hmm. at least right now. But they're a, you know a top forty program right now but you have gus malzahn so gus malzahn's george jeff collins x factor too where he can coach you into an l uh pretty easily as well like <laughs> i've literally watched him coach him coach his team into one against louisville last year i was watching the game texting mm-hmm. a buddy of mine and i was like oh my god he's gonna like yes he's coaching them into the l like i couldn't <laughs> believe it watching the game i was like all you gotta do is run the clock out dude like just run the football and so gus gus is good for a clunker or two ask Auburn fans, mm-hmm. uh, you know, pit game will be real interesting. Cause that's at pit, um, back-to-back road games. And what the hell is that pit team now without Addison and Kenny Pickett and the offensive coordinator, they still got some talented defensive guys. They have an O-line back, but they have like no weapons, um, of that are known and they couldn't run the football at all last year. Mm-hmm. And they and they still don't have their quarterback situation settled either. It's still a QB battle with the Patty kid who was the incumbent and the kid they got from USC, Slovis or whatever his name is. Um, so well, you know, I was say, it's, like, di- it's like all we okay. know about Pitt is that they have nasty linemen everywhere. And honestly, like that might just be enough for them. Well, that's the thing, right? And in their home in October, you know, weather probably not going to be optimal. Like, you know, that's a tough game. They have the two easiest games are back to back. You have Duke and then the bye week and then Virginia. Those both should be wins. They're both at home. Historically, they have really handled both those teams at Bobby Dodd. Um, so you feel good about that. And then you play Florida State, and Florida State could literally be in the same boat as Georgia Tech with, you know, even possibly an interim head coach at that point. Like Florida State's schedule is super weird too. Like, um, you go look at them like you don't know what they're going to be and so to me i look at you know that game that's a roll of the dice right because lsu they play florida state plays lsu week two they play at louisville they'll play wake forest at, at nc state clemson all leading up into that georgia tech game so they could be pretty uh, beat up by the time and boston college is not even that bad like they were just you know had a lot of injuries but they were a tough team last year too so there's no telling where Florida State's at when they come in. Um, you go up to Blacksburg, and I, you know, I was telling you, I, I can't imagine that team's going to be very good either this year. I agree. Um, you know, the the 
I picked three teams to finish behind Georgia Tech in the Coastal. It was Virginia, Virginia Tech, and Duke in that in, in that order. Um, Duke being the worst, but Virginia Tech's like a hair better than Duke. Like it's it's pretty. I don't know what they have like as a team. Like Fuente left that cupboard pretty empty, mm-hmm. and then it emptied itself out even more. And that guy's sort of starting at square one. Um, they play the the last three games are going to be hard too. Like play Miami. In Atlanta and that Carolina and that Georgia, um, and you know, the Carolina game could be interesting because I'm curious how much longer Mac Brown's coaching. Um, so you know, is that uh, uh, that's not their last home game? I think they play NC State the last week, but um, you know, is he winding out his career at that point? And then Georgia's still pretty talented, and that's a bad matchup on pretty much every level still um they got ways to go to catch up to be competitive with them with with what they're doing you know i think the situation there is just you know if they can go back to what they did jeff's first year where they were sort of hanging around in the game the first half i think people will be okay with that like if if you're at six wins and you go into the georgia game and it's 28 7 at the half or 28 10 at the half right or 20 21 7 or something like that people will live with that right like mm-hmm. if it's 40 to nothing that ain't that ain't getting it done either so um you know and who knows what's it's just such a weird i've never had such a bad feeling um like bad feel sorry for what to expect going into the season as they do right now because Everyone Georgia Tech plays has sort of some serious flaws. Like Clemson, you got mm-hmm. two new coordinators. Like Ole Miss, you don't know what their quarterback situation is. I mean, I don't like Charlie Weiss Jr. I think he's a bad coach. He's their offensive coordinator now. Like, is Lane taking the offense away from him by week three? Like, um, <laughs> you know, Gus Boss at, uh, at UCF, you know, Narduzzi at Pitt. They feel like they owe, they owe Narduzzi one uh, at this point. Um, so I imagine the kids will be riled up for that game. You know, Duke is terrible. Virginia is probably not much better than Duke. There's a lot of winnable games on the schedule. Um, if, you know, this was a Paul Johnson team from a few years ago with a decent court with Justin Thomas or Nesbitt or something, they they would win the coastal with the schedule. Probably. Yeah. I think, you know, so to me, like the high end of this is probably seven wins. I think the low end is probably four. I don't think they go back to three. I would be if, he, if, if they win three games, they should like Jeff Collins should probably give up some of his money or something like and, <laughs> and just leave town and get out of coaching or something because just resign. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like just be like I'm sorry, I, I was in over my head. It, it you know, that'd be the way to prove you. You know, he talks about how much you love Georgia Tech. That'd be the way to truly prove it, right? Like, they <laughs> oh, I'm gonna pull a was it Gary Anderson who did that? Um, that gave up his money and just was like, no, I'm just quitting. I'm like, you don't have to pay me anything. In like mid October, yeah. <laughs> yeah, like just be like, peace out. Uh, this isn't for me. Um. <laughs> I just can't imagine. I mean, he's just not made that kind of money in his lifetime either. So I, I don't expect that, but uh, it's not like he's been a coach for 20 years, a head coach for 20 years and has made millions and millions of dollars for many, many years. He hasn't, he's really didn't probably start making a ton of money until he got the Georgia tech job. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. people got to remember that too. Like at the end of the day, um, very true, but it is funny, right? Like, um, 
God, if they win three games, I don't even know how I'd how I'd deal with that as a, <laughs> like intellectually. I'd just be like, all right, I'm just gonna hire someone else to cover the team the rest of the season and like go do something. I'm gonna go go hard, lean hard into basketball or something. <laughs> like, um, I'm not going to game this week. I'm gonna have so and so freelance it for me and I'm gonna go go cover uh the exhibition game against uh you know shorter or whatever or just go fishing or go to a concert or something you know like <laughs> it's like Say, hey wife you want to take a vacation it's the middle of the football season like... you can't go on vacation uh, Better than i don't know <laughs> i really feel like this trip to to georgia the last week of thanksgiving after thanksgiving it's like why don't we uh Go to Atlantis in the Bahamas instead. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Go watch the battle for Atlantis or whatever. So you're thinking somewhere between four and seven wins here. Do you have an official prediction? You think they get to six? I think they get to six. It's Joey. You have been a Georgia Tech fan forever. <laughs> what is the most Georgia Tech thing possible that could happen? Is Jeff Collins wins six games in an ugly fashion mm-hmm. and stays on as a head coach? Right, like that is the Georgia Tech way. Yeah, when they make a bowl. To... Nobody's happy about it. Yeah. And they like... lose the bowl. They go six and seven, right? Like, right. Yeah. They lose a bowl to like somebody <laughs> embarrassing, like Buffalo or something. And or, like Temple, they play Temple, his old team, and lose the bowl game to them. Or yeah. it would be something ridiculous like that. That would be the most Georgia <laughs> Tech. They lose the Gasparilla Bowl on December 23rd or whatever, like two days before Christmas and in front of a, you know, 1,200 people. And, and, <laughs> You know, they lose like twenty-eight to seven or something, and you're just like, oh, "What was that? Why am I? Why am I in Tampa? You know, the day before Christmas or the Frisco Bowl or whatever. Oh. You know, like whatever the uh, adjunct crap bowls are for the ACC right now that like the ninth team gets into, because hmm. they won't get picked for the military bowl. It'll be something worse than that. It would be like, right. you know, it'd be the equivalent of whatever Detroit is now. Like um, <laughs> that's where they'll get sent, and 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 lose that game, you know, that's been, that's the, uh, you know, like, uh, the Mandalorian or whatever, that is the way or whatever they say, <laughs> like that, that, that's the Georgia tech way, right? Like the, that mediocrity or averageness will, 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 uh, keep, keep this dude employed another year. Um, and you know, yeah. I like Jeff, I think his plan makes sense. It's what I would do. It just hasn't been executed in the way I thought he was going to. And I think that's where the frustration lies for fans too. Like, and I think Jeff would tell you that too, if he gave him a lie detector test and sat him down and was like, Hey, you got to answer these questions directly. <laughs> um, yes or no. He would, he would tell you. Yeah. I mean, he'd be the first to tell you things have not gone as expected. And yeah. no, no one will lie to you and say that. I mean, no one at Georgia tech would say that. Like to me, it's, um, it's, it's something's got to give here though. Right. Like it's gotta, either gotta do something like to me, the best case scenario, if you get to that six wins is there's a splash win in there where he upset somebody like, and messed up their season, like Miami or Carolina or something, or, mm-hmm. you know, I can't even say beat Georgia. Cause it's so far from, yeah. You know, beat Clemson the first week of the season, right. That's something I could see happening. Yeah. I could also see them getting boat raced by Clemson, but, you know, let's say they go out and play well, and Clemson isn't quite ready to go, and and they beat them in a you know ugly game, twenty one ten or something. Um, Build some confidence you, on that. Yeah, and then you beat Western Carolina, and then you lose the next two 
two or three games and then you go into that Duke stretch and you're sitting at like five wins or something and then you beat somebody in the back half, Florida State or whoever, or you have an upset win. Mm-hmm. I think he needs like a signature win. Like they haven't had one yet. Like the Florida State game's about as close as they come and turned out that Florida State team was awful uh, and really poorly coached. Um and had a lot of issues. So yeah. you know, when you well, I guess it wasn't poorly. Co- it was he inherited a very poorly coached team, and his like poor Mike Norvell has not been able to dig out of that. Who I actually thinks a pretty good coach too, but like yes, and I don't know what to think of Jeff either. I mean, sometimes things don't just don't work, right? Like not every fit is a perfect fit, and we've seen that in college, you know, in the college ranks before, where guys have some failure somewhere and then have success elsewhere, right? So. Is that the case here too? Like where maybe the fit just doesn't work for whatever reason. I don't know. I don't know what to think, Joey. I mean, I just think you got to have something give here because the fan base is really like on edge about all of this. And and we, we both see it on a regular mm-hmm. basis and social media and message boards on, and even just the media's coverage of Georgia tech on the outward media, like radio and TV. Um, yeah, it's the first thing I get asked when I do something. Like, how hot is Jeff Collins' seat? He's <laughs> like, I mean, it's like, I think Jeff would tell you his seat's hot. Like, yeah. <laughs> it, it's not delusional. Yeah, like, no one's, you know, kidding themselves about this right now. So, um, like you said, you know, the worst case scenario is you have a program that has is transitioned to something more traditional now and you have the personnel to run that so you can bring in whoever you want to coach it um you're not beholden to a system anymore good bad or indifferent how you think about that um so that puts you in a little bit better footing the job's still very desirable job's easy place to recruit um it's hard to get like the elite kids but you can recruit to me like you know the guy i wanted to see them hire the last time around was dave clausen because I watched Dave Klaus and Awake. I know Dave um, a little bit. And I felt like what he did would make sense at Georgia Tech, where you redshirt kids. He recruits you know, high academic kids that are going to want to finish the degree at Georgia Tech. He does that's his whole system at Wake Forest. And they find a good quarterback and build around that. Yep. And that would work. And, and that's where Jeff ran into the most trouble because Jeff Collins should have said out from the get go, look, this is. A process Josh Pastner something at the basketball job, right? It's the process. It's gonna take us four or five years, like to get to where we want to go. You have to have some patience with us. We're gonna redshirt guys, we're gonna build for the future. And instead they sort of like half did it, half didn't. They took all these online transfers, they took, you know, different guys, p- different pieces here and there. And it was like sort of they're trying to do both, and then they're playing all their freshmen and burning the shirts and and then the portal stuff happened in the middle of all of this. So it's changed even that philosophy a little bit. So I don't know what the solution is. I think Jeff has some of the pieces, but the coaching piece hasn't shown itself yet. Maybe this year it does. Like maybe he comes out, he's helping coach the defense and they look competent. And this is all, our whole conversation sort of becomes irrelevant and they mm-hmm. win seven, eight games. Cool. Like, like, imagine, like, the, that's the best case scenario, right? Like, they go out and they win eight games, and and you know, it turns out that they just took a, they needed to hire the right offensive coordinator and make those changes on defense, and that fixed it. Yeah. 
intellectually, I don't think that's what's going on, but you know, it's possible. Anything's possible. Right. So we'll see, Joey. I just, (laughs) I am, I am, you know, it's funny. Ken Seguera covers the AJC for, for Georgia tech, uh, as the beat writer there, we were sitting at Notre Dame and he looked at me during the game and he's just like, and Ken's like usually not one to pontificate about these things or whatever. And he just goes, Ken, this is not fun like to cover. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I was like, we're in South Bend, Indiana, covering a team that's not going to score a touchdown in the game. And she gets smoked and they're going to get smoked even worse the next week. Cause they were getting ready to play Georgia team. That was plant, you know, at least a contender for a national championship. And <laughs> that, you know, that's sort of like, that's where tech fans are. And, you know, Ken is not a fan. He's a very professional guy, but like it, it gets tough, man. It is grinding. I have friends who cover Vanderbilt. And I'm like, I don't understand how you could do this for a living. Like, mm-hmm. how do you like go into practice and write these stories about this team that, you know, literally has their best hope is to go bowling like and they've been to nine bowl games in the entire school's history like you know paul johnson took georgia tech to more than nine bowl games as head coach mm-hmm. like and that's the entire history of vanderbilt right like yeah i'm sure o'leary probably was close to that too like um so they can't be vanderbilt like the program's not that bad like it's should be a team that at least goes bowling pretty much every year right that's the ben- that's what the benchmark is yeah, that's what it should be, even with Clemson and Georgia over here. And now you have the schedule changing that should be more favorable in some ways. Like to me, that made it easier, like mm-hmm. to get there. So fix it, whatever you got to fix it. Yep, yep. And like, I mean, I, getting to bowl games has been kind of the bare minimum at Georgia Tech, you know, for as long as I've you know been watching the program oh really. Johnson's only winning six seven games a year people were getting mad like he had a couple seasons like that like that like, wasn't good enough yeah yeah and I'm like people would die for that right now like you know everything's <laughs> in context right like you know if you're you know if you were Kentucky 20 years ago you would kill for that like and now they've gotten their situation going they're a better program and they're starting to get into that nine eight nine wins and being more consistent and so the expectations change, right? Mm-hmm. The, the thing that I don't want to see happen is the expectations get lowered at Georgia Tech because of the struggles right now. Like, that shouldn't be – it's not a place – it's not Duke. It's not – no. it's not even Wake Forest. Like, like, you have decent support. You have a fan base that wants to see a winning product. Figure out how to get there. Yep. Well, on that note, Kelly, th- th- like this has been incredibly helpful, incredibly insightful. Really appreciate you. I mean, it's it's been a weird time, <laughs> and and I think you know, knowing that we are going to be transitioning, uh, you know, from uh, Paul Johnson and his option, and and the way that that team was constructed into something a little more conventional, like we knew it was going to be weird in some ways, but. I think it's been weird in, in ways that we didn't really anticipate. And so, you know, just having you come on and, and again, give some insights. It's always, always a pleasure having you on. Really appreciate it. Uh, do you want to tell the people real quick where they can find your stuff? Yeah. Jacketsonline.com, uh, Kelly underscore Quinlan, Q-I-N-L-A-N. Mm-hmm. And uh, we cover Georgia Tech, all things Georgia Tech, football, basketball, recruiting, and even a little baseball. Um, 
so come check us out and we have uh, the largest paid site largest paid active community probably the largest message board community there is for georgia tech fans so yep. um we're there every for everything there is at georgia tech so uh check us out if you haven't checked us out if you have in the past I'd say it's worth coming back and giving a look too Absolutely. I, I personally, I am a longtime subscriber and I say this every time you come on. I mean, there is, if, if you care enough about college football and about Georgia tech to be listening to this podcast right now, it is worth your hundred dollars a year to go on and, and see all of the in-depth behind the scenes information that, that is available through that subscription. So highly, highly recommended uh, doing that if, if you are not doing it already. And I, I know several people who are, and I, I you know, ask them too. I, I'm, I guarantee you they don't regret it either. Thanks, Joe. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you, Kelly. Hey, look look forward to having you on again sometime soon. Hopefully, talking about uh, I don't know Jeff Collins year five, but maybe about a new coach in twenty twenty three. Who's we'll we'll find out soon enough. <laughs> Your guess is as good as mine. Absolutely. Thank you, Kelly. We'll talk again soon. Thanks, man. Once again, that was Kelly Quinlan of JacketsOnline.com on the Rivals Network. Thank you so much again to him for all of his time and his insights on this. Season that seems to be like it's going to be a pivotal one for Georgia Tech in, in a lot of ways, and especially for Jeff Collins and this coaching staff. I realized that I had not yet given a prediction on the season yet, and I'm, I'm really hung up. I, I am somewhere between this optimistic belief that the coaching staff turnover will be the difference maker for a program that has really struggled with coaching. Maybe new voices in the room will help. On the other hand, I have seen what this program has been for three years now, and it has been wholly, um, we'll say wholly un, 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 uh, unexciting. Uh, it, is, it is like I'm, I'm just like prepared for a disappointment. And so I guess with that in mind, I don't know. I, I look at this schedule. I, I think they win the Western Carolina game. I, I, I've mentioned it that it has been a, a screw up in the past that they've lost to FCS teams, but I, I think they'll pull that one off. Uh, I, I do think that they'll be able to beat Duke and Virginia at home. Uh, Virginia is off a bye week. Virginia in a in a, a new coach, a uh, bit of a roster rebuild situation. I think there's a shot they could win at Virginia Tech again. And and Mike will do a preview of them here in, a, in the next couple of weeks. But I, I've got real concerns about Virginia Tech's roster right now. And uh, I, I think that might be a situation that Georgia Tech could go into Blacksburg, especially if things are gelling a little bit better. Um, you know, potentially have some momentum too. I mean, Duke and Virginia are back to back with a bye week in between, and then at Florida State, at Virginia Tech. I mean, those are both road games, but again, teams that by that point in the season could be very beatable. We we don't know, and so I think there's a sh a chance. You know, let's say I'll give you the the really optimistic prediction on my end. I think they go maybe five and seven, but it, it's to me there, there's very little. Very little in between here. I think either they're going to go like two and ten, three and nine, or they're going to go five and seven, six and six. And and I think we're going to know pretty quickly. Can they hang with Ole Miss? Can they hang with UCF? And and even if they don't win those games, there are potential signs that you could see of how those games go of that will make you believe that maybe that this team will hold its own and win a few games in ACC play. If they, they come out of the month of September and they've gotten boat raced by Clemson, Ole Miss, and UCF, uh, all of a sudden any optimism I have will dry up and we will start talking about coaching searches because 
Um, I, I mean, it, it's a little bit of a crapshoot going through the ACC this year, especially all the changeover, all the new coaches, all the new quarterbacks, and on and on and on. But at the end of the day, those programs are all have, have given us more reason to believe that they will be able to win games on Saturdays than this one has. And so I think you'll if, if this program really is turning a corner and, and getting back to a, a more acceptable level of, of performance at Georgia Tech, I think you'll know that relatively quickly. And if not, we'll know that quickly as well and be able to uh, just you know move on with our lives and ignore probably two-thirds of the schedule, which – Sucks because, you know, I love college football season. I love Georgia Tech. I, I love watching them. I want them to win. And so this this kind of this level of, of disinterest that has kind of developed not only in me, but in a lot of the fan base over the last couple of years is, uh, is really it's disappointing and it's a bummer. And, uh, you know, hopefully hopefully things go well this year. But if not, hopefully, uh, you know, whatever new coaching staff theoretically comes in and takes over will give us something that to be a little bit more emotionally invested in. So. I guess I'll I'll say optimistically maybe again Chip Long makes the difference the roster is in good shape and and things finally click into place a little bit but even then I'm going to say they go five and seven and uh, you know Kelly said like he said you know six and six with a bad bowl game loss and you know <laughs> that that becomes a little bit of a hellish place for all involved you know it's a, a place where you want to you want to move on from, from Collins, but maybe you can't quite cause there's you know progress there, but even still like it should be better than it is. I don't know. So I'm going to go five and seven, call it that. And just, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. But once again, huge thanks to Kelly for coming on. I, I thought he gave a lot of really great insights and uh, as always, and, and, you know, I look forward to seeing, you know, how much we're, we're right about versus, uh, you know, how much we, we got wrong, you know, as is always going to happen. Anytime we go through and talk about college football teams before the season even starts, it's a crazy sport and trying to predict it ahead of time is uh, arguably even more crazy. That's all we got for Georgia Tech in this preview in the 2022 season. Uh, We will be back with some additional previews here in the next few weeks. Mike is coming back very, very soon as paternity leave comes to an end for him. Uh, Again, everything still seems to be going well for him and, and baby and mommy. So, uh, you know, send him send him your well wishes, but you'll be hearing from him very soon here as he uh, joins this whole preview train. In the meantime, you can find us on Twitter. I am at FTRS Joey. He is at Mike McDaniel SI. Together, we're at BC Podcast ACC. And once again, you can go find Kelly on Twitter at Kelly underscore Quinlan uh, and on JacketsOnline.com on the Rivals Network. Go check him out there for all sorts of great behind the scenes information on Georgia Tech. Uh, cannot recommend that enough. Send us an email. Send us. Go find us on Facebook. Find us on Instagram. Those accounts are uh, they're still ours. I promise. Even though we may not uh, post on them all that frequently, but you know it happens. Life gets in the way. We're busy people. Uh, find us on iTunes, on Spotify. Hit that hit that subscribe button. Uh, give us five star reviews where you're able to. We really appreciate those who have. Um, we really appreciate all of your support. And once again, go go to section103.com and get all your Georgia Tech apparel for the upcoming season. Use promo code GOACC for 10% off your first order. All right, that's all I've got for Georgia Tech tonight. Once again, we will be back very soon with some additional previews, so keep it tuned here. But until then, for Mr. Kelly Quinlan, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will talk to you again soon. And until then, go Jackets and go ACC.